Stay with us following this week's Crosswalk for information on Pastor Clay's new book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. Well, are you ready? Whether we're ready or not, Christmas is upon us. As the song goes, the Christmas season really is the most wonderful time of the year. But let's face it, in the hustle and bustle of this season, it's easy to get caught up in everything and miss the most important thing. Merry Christmas and welcome to Crosswalk. Today we're breaking from our series, Building on the Basics, to focus on the Christmas story. The Christmas season is a busy, bustling time of year for most of us. And if we're not careful, it can be easy to miss the true meaning of Christmas, the true reason for Christmas. As Pastor Clay is going to explain today, whether people realize it or not, the story of Christmas is really the story of the greatest rescue mission ever undertaken. And each of us is still part of that mission today. Now here's Pastor Clay. And it is, by the way, the hap- happiest season of all, right? Eh, maybe not. Watch this video. New video tonight of a parking lot brawl with her husband and children watching. A mother in Long Island viciously beating another woman over a parking spot. The woman's husband egging her on. It happened in the Nassau County village of Valley Stream. Here's Carolina Lee. Somehow, some way, this brawl between two women started because of an argument over a parking space. Now, follow me here. One woman was trying to park in an empty spot, but a man was standing in it, holding it for someone else. She parked in another spot, then got into an argument about what happened. Then came the punches and hair pulling. Hold this for a parking space? That's crazy. Where's the mall cop? You know, like, and why nobody said stop? Nassau County Police confirmed there was a fight over a parking spot at Green Acres Mall Sunday afternoon. This video later surfaced. Now investigators are trying to confirm if it's from the same thing. Shoppers can't believe people just watched and recorded this violent exchange. The kids watching it, no one even tried to stop it. Violence is it's too much violence right now. A senior manager at the mall said, we strive to provide an enjoyable and safe shopping environment for our guests and employees at all times at Green Acres. Yeah, I'd say they failed at that one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and y- y- y'all know this. Yeah, there's, there's a million videos of Christmas shopping and Black Friday videos and all that stuff that you can find like that, right? <laughs> My goodness, what, what makes two probably removed from that situation, what makes two probably a fairly rational adults out for a day of shopping with their families, what makes two individuals go absolutely Mike Tyson on each other? What, 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 would, be, what would be worth... What is the value of a single parking space that you would end up with uh, uh, a video of of your escapades, the embarrassment, the injuries, the possible legal ramifications for your actions? What could possibly make two rational people act that way? The reason is actually quite simple. We are broken. We're broken. 
We are a people who have a sin nature that drives us to act in a way that is probably not good for us, probably not good for other people, and probably not honoring to God Almighty. We're broken. The Apostle Paul uh, in the book of Romans, uh, quoting uh, Psalm uh, 14 and Psalm uh, 53, uh, says this. He says, as it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. And if that were not clear enough, uh, Paul goes on then to say in verse 23, everyone has sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. In the original language, it, it, it actually means to miss the mark. Everyone has missed the mark. Everyone has missed the mark. Hey, turn to somebody near you and say, you have really missed the mark. <laughs> we are sinners. We have violated God's law, and we have done so uh, of our own volitional choice to do so. We are broken. And to make matters worse, Paul then goes on to say in chapter 6 of the same letter to the church in Rome that the wages of sin is, say that word, death. Death, the wages or the cost or the penalty of sin is, say it again, death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death. We are broken. We are sinners. And as a consequence of our sin, the result is death. Physical death, yes, this world is decaying. We are decaying. We will uh, die. But to spiritually be separated from God for all of eternity, to have to live in the, in the reality and the and, and the results of our sin nature for all of this life and then for all of eternity to come and, based on what the Bible says, as a result, to be consumed by the flames of hell for all of eternity with no hope. There is, between God's holiness and perfection, and our unholiness and imperfection, there is this chasm so great that no man or no woman could ever hope to cross that chasm, leaving us in this condition that we are in for all of eternity with no hope. I'll say it again, with no hope. Merry Christmas, everybody! <laughs> Gee, Pastor Clay, there's a happy Christmas message. Wait, I'm not done. I'm not done. God has sent a rescue mission. Open your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 2, the Christmas story, Luke's rendition of the Christmas story. Taking a break from our series to take a few moments to look this morning at, at who all was involved in this rescue mission and what it means for our lives to be involved in this rescue mission, what the results are from this rescue mission. Luke chapter 2, we're reading this morning, verses 1 through 20. It's a great story, isn't it? Here we go. 
Now in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. And this was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David. In order to register, register for the census, along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. And while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. An angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it, wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. Father, we thank you for this uh, story. Perhaps depending on the environment we grew up in, perhaps depending on the home we grew up in, uh, it may be a story that we have heard many times. Or possibly there's someone listening to this message today who really is kind of hearing it for the first time. Unless they caught the Charlie Brown Christmas special years ago that talked about it. We live in a world today where, uh, even here in America, where we print on our money and God we trust, uh, there, are, there are millions of people that have never really heard this story even for the first time. So wherever we are in this process today, help us uh, just with, uh, with a fresh awareness of how amazing this story is. May we approach it as holy ground for God Almighty, the eternal existing God, is stepping foot onto His creation. Not, not as we might Expect not as we might write it if we were making it up, not in a palace, not with grandeur, not with with uh, fireworks and all of that, but really in a barn. In a barn, because there was no 
room for him in the local hotel. In a barn surrounded by perhaps some animals, some sheep, whatever they might have gathered there. And Mary and Joseph in that moment. Incredibly humble beginnings for the Son of God. May we be humbled by the very thought, as we've talked about and sung about this morning, humbled by the very thought that you would even do this. And more so, had even planned to do this before you ever created us, knowing that we would rebel against you and you would have to do this if we were ever to have any hope. As I said, Father, there, there is no hope without your rescue mission. So can we just say right now in advance, thank you. Thank you for rescuing me. And, and I pray every person in this room can say that, that they have the confidence to know that, that they've been redeemed by accepting you as Lord and Savior. But if there is one sitting in this room today or who will listen to this message later this week or, or even six months from now, God, may they come face to face with the reality that the chasm is too great to be crossed by any good works or any amount of money or any influence or any reputation or notoriety. It's not a Christmas song, but it is today. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Uh, That's why we're remembering this today. In his name, amen. Let's talk about this rescue mission and just just call to your attention this morning from Luke chapter 2, a few of the... uh, a few of the, the players in this whole thing as it, as it kind of unfolds. We're going to start with this idea uh, this morning. Caesar was part of God's rescue mission, whether he knew it or not. For you, uh, for the two of us in here that are, <laughs> I care about history, <laughs> his name was Octavian. He was born on the 23rd of September, 63 B.C. Y'all might want to write that down. It might come up at some no. Not really. He was the grand nephew of Caesar Augustus. And because of who he was related to, he rose very quickly in the, in the political ranks, if you will, of the Roman Empire. And when he defeated Mark Antony and Cleopatra at the naval battle of Actium in 31 BC, when, when, when that took place, when that took place in that moment he became the sole ruler of the entire Roman Empire he ruled for 41 years and he was given the title Augustus which means revered one and he was without question the most powerful man on the face of the earth at that time. But as it turns out, he was really a travel agent in the hands of the living God. God using whoever, whenever, whatever, wherever 
he needs to to accomplish the mission that he had set forth to do from the very beginning. Caesar was a part of this rescue mission whether he knew it or not. It is God's redemptive plan, and God will stop at nothing. Do you hear me today? I don't know where you are in your relationship with God. God will stop. I truly believe God will stop at nothing to try and reach you. To draw. There is no circumstance he will not use. There is nothing he will not orchestrate in order to accomplish his purposes and plans for the redemption of mankind. See, here's the deal. God had... 700 years before the birth of Christ had specified exactly where the Messiah, and remember that word, it's just the, the Hebrew essentially word that means Savior. 700 years before the birth of Christ, he, he foretold where the, the Savior was going to be born. You've read it, Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrata, too little to be among the clans of Judah. In other words, you're not big enough to be like your own tribe, from you, one will go forth from me to be a ruler in Israel. Now watch this. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Now there God has gone and done it. He's just put it out there for the whole world. He has named specifically the location from which the Messiah would be born. And you notice that, that in, in, in the, that verse 2 that he speaks of this person who both is from the days of eternity. In other words, this, this eternal being. And yet he also makes reference to this, to this child being born. It is the Christ child. It is the God-man. It is what God had predicted. And he'd predicted, like I said, 700 years before. Now, somebody might say, well, what's the big deal? If he's born in Bethlehem, if he's born in Jerusalem, if he's born, where, what, what's the big deal? As long, as long as he's just born somewhere, isn't that the main point? As long as he came? Why don't you listen? It's an important lesson. Listening? Looking up here? Keeping his word is a very big deal to God. It's a very big deal to God. That's why uh, God says uh, through the prophet Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 12, I am watching over my word to perform it. I'm going to make sure that everything happens exactly as I have said that it would happen. Now, there are two reasons why you might think that it would be important that God uh, thinks it's important that he keeps his word. One is because if God states something in his word, such as, I'm going to send the Messiah, and he's going to be born in this tiny little town called Bethlehem, house of bread. If God says that, and God doesn't keep that, and, and, and we've Say, well, the Messiah was born in Jerusalem or Nazareth or Chicago. If God doesn't keep his word here, here's my question to you. How can you trust that he keep his word anywhere else in here? Because, because he also said that Jesus 
was going to go to a cross. Jesus said it repeatedly during his life. I'm going to die. I'm dying for your sins. Well, how do we know we can believe that if we can't, if we can't believe it back here? Or if, uh, about, about creation, how he says, do you understand what I'm saying? All through, it, it's, very, it's a big deal to God that he keeps his word because if he doesn't keep his word in one place, how do you even know that you can trust him to keep his word anywhere else? Added to that also is the fact that knowing that what a big deal it is to God to keep his word means that we can trust God to keep his word for our lives, what goes on in our lives. So, so that when, you, when, when God says that he will provide power when you feel weak or when God says that he'll provide wisdom when you need to make an important decision or when God says that he'll that he'll he'll walk with you through some crisis in your life it's important to know man God keeps his word I can trust that God will be there in this situation it's what God does it's it's who God is and so for God it's a big deal that he keeps his word And so he said that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And so you can bet the farm the Messiah is going to be born where? In Bethlehem. And so in God's timing, Caesar, whose motivation was not the same as God's, by the way. This is that mysterious, I've said this for years, this is that mysterious connection between the sovereign will of God and the free will of man. Caesar's motivation was greed. God's motivation was a gift. It was going to bring eternal life. But in God's timing, Caesar calls for a census. And, and, and he says, this is how we're going to do the census. Here's how we'll be able to track and know that valid and accurate and nobody's cheating and everything. We're going to make everybody go back to their ancestral home, meaning the home that their ancestors came from, right? All of us, most of us know most of our, we may not know specifically some of our ancestors, but we know, like, uh, like I, I'm coming from Scottish uh, background on my dad's side. I know, I, I know that. I can track that uh, I'm a descendant of William Wallace, I'm just saying, and uh, so, so right, so we can do that. Well, so Caesar says, well, that's how we're gonna we're gonna send them back to their, to their ancestral home. Well, uh, Joseph and Mary are ancestrally related to David. You remember King David, the guy that you remember him? And guess where King David was born. Bethlehem. So guess where Mary and Joseph have to go in order to give birth to this child? Say it. Bethlehem. Bingo! They have to go back to Bethlehem. Now listen. Okay, right? It's a distance of about 80 miles. You and I hop in a car. We can cover 80 miles. A little over an hour. My wife, about 40 minutes. (laughs) She doesn't, she doesn't drive that fast uh, most of the time. Most of the time. But, no. It's no big deal for us, right? But 80 miles in that day and age with a very pregnant woman over, over a significant distance when the only way you're getting there is, is I guess, assuming walking or, or maybe an a ox-drawn cart or a, a donkey or, or something like that. That's the only way you're going to get there. No means of modern uh, transportation or protection. It was a dangerous journey. 
They, it's a, you understand what I'm saying? They would never make this trip. They probably wouldn't make it even if she wasn't pregnant. But they would never make this trip if she's, if she's pregnant. That, that would be crazy. That, that would risk the child. That would be dangerous. It would risk my wife. I would never make this trip unless you're forced to do so. Which is exactly the case. And so Mary and Joseph end up in Bethlehem. Exactly as God said that they would. The most powerful man on earth, really, is just a travel agent for the Lord God Almighty. I don't mean just as if that travel agent is not a good... I'm just saying that... That's, that's what it was. It reminds me of, of just how far God will go and what all God will do and how there are no limits on what God can accomplish. And I, I've told this story before, but it's one of my favorite stories of, of how God so supernaturally uh, works uh, that, that it just, it's just a great story uh, to tell uh, today. Uh, when I made my first trip to China a number of years ago, uh, we were, we were in there for about 10 days. I think we were in the country about 10 days. And I happened to meet a young man who was a new missionary there. He'd only been in the country uh, about two weeks uh, when I uh, met him. And uh, one day, uh, he's looking for volunteers. He says, there's this, there's this mountain around the city where we were. This mountain is called Flag Mountain. And he says, I've been, I've been wanting to climb this mountain. And, uh, and nobody's, you know, so far, all the other missionaries have done it. So they're not interested in going again. And I want to make this trip. Well, you know what they say, when in China, <laughs> so, so I said, I'll go, I'll, I'll climb Flag Mountain, and so uh, we head out bright and early one, one morning, heading for Flag Mountain, which, I mean, it's a big mountain, you can see it, you know, you go out your door, you can see Flag Mountain, it's, it's part of the, it was really a, a, almost a ring of mountains that surrounded this city, and, um, but getting there was a little more complicated than it seemed like it should be. Uh, it, it was supposed to take us 45 minutes to get to the base of the mountain. There was this trail. He already knew. He'd already heard about this trail. He'd been given directions to this trail. And there's a trail that leads up the mountain, okay? So it's supposed to take 45 minutes uh, to get there. Well, about an hour and a half to two hours later, we're still uh, trudging through rice paddies and, and going through villages and, you know, uh, dogs are barking at us, and, and uh, elderly Chinese women are looking at us like we were very strange. What are we doing out there? And, and this just goes on, and, and, and clearly the missionary is lost. He doesn't, he's, he's lost. He doesn't know where it is. We can see the mountain, but we have not found this, this trail yet. Eventually, uh, we endeavor to persevere. We find our way. We get to the mountain, and uh, we get to the head of the trail. And it's, and it's very mountainous, and there's lots of trees and stuff. And so you recognize, when you get to the trail, you see, the, and he's like, oh, here it is. And we come over this crest, and he says, here it is. We finally found it. And we're, at that point, we're about two hours behind schedule. As we come up the rise to, 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 to the trail, as we literally come up this hill, coming from the other direction are two young uh, Chinese men, 19, 20, 21 years old, something like that, two young Chinese men uh, coming in the other direction. And they are ecstatic to see us. They are so happy to see us. Um, as if they knew us or something. I mean, they're just very, and they're going to, and they're going to say, we will, and, and they spoke broken English much better than any attempt at Chinese that I would have made. Uh, and, and they said, we're, we're going to go with you up the mountain. We're going to walk with you up the mountain. And so, uh, they're just carrying on and talking and they're just really giddy and happy and excited that they're walking, uh, with us. And, uh, the missionary that I was with suddenly realizes about 10 minutes into this trek up the mountain that he knew these two young men, even though he'd only been in the country about two weeks, 
He knew these two young men uh, from a pickup game of basketball that he had played with them with another missionary the, the second day after he arrived in country. They were just down at the university. This is a city, by the way, of Chinese, by Chinese standards, very small. I think it's about 200,000 people, uh, very small by Chinese standards. But there was a university there, and they had gone down to the university and just gotten into a pickup basketball game. And, they, and it turns out that there was these two exact young men that this guy had played basketball with, and he realizes that on the way up. And then as we're going up, we come to these... Um, uh, tombstones and the and the Chinese and in, in, uh, in a lot of Asian cultures, I think they bury uh, their their dead up on mountains. And and as I understand it, the higher that they that they get rights to bury them or whatever, the more kind of a status symbol that is for your departed ones. And ancestral worship is a very big deal in that culture and stuff. And so we come to these uh, tombstones, and, um, and they're explaining to they just they just start explaining to us about what they believe about their ancestors and when they die, and we bring them food and drink and you know all this kind of stuff, and then they turn to us and they say, what do you believe? Uh, when, when your ancestors die. And so the rest of the time up, uh, we get to share the gospel with these people. Um, long story, not quite as long. It turned out that their class, their, their university class was taking a field trip up the mountain that day. Those two young men who were roommates had overslept. Uh, their class had already gone up, was already two hours ahead of them, uh, and, they came, when they, and they woke up and came running to the, to the trail, just as we got to the trail. These two young men that, that this missionary, the only two Chinese men <laughs> this young, young missionary knew, and as a result of it, it, it as, in our trip up there that day, it began a relationship where uh, at least one of the young men came to trust Christ as a Savior. And that missionary got to go back with his family when he traveled home for holiday and introduced his family to the gospel. You understand what I'm saying? There's nothing God will stop it. Now, you know, listen, I don't, know, I don't know what the odds are that out of 200,000 people, this young missionary who, who gets lost and ends up being two hours late, and, and these people that, these two guys that oversleep and end up being two hours late, and I don't know what the odds are that they would meet at the exact same trail at the exact same moment, the exact same two guys that, that he had met two weeks earlier. I don't know what the odds of all that are of it come, converging, coming together at that precise moment so that the gospel of Jesus Christ could be shared. But I'm thinking it's pretty high. I'm thinking the odds of that happening simply coincidentally are pretty high. I think that it shows that there is nothing God will not do to make sure that the message of Jesus is proclaimed. So, Caesar was a part of God's rescue mission, whether he knew it or not. Second, uh, this morning, Mary and Joseph were part of God's rescue mission, whether they understood it or not. I think that Mary and Joseph were two people of extraordinary faith. They had to be because it seemed that their faith was tested every single step of the way. Imagine being, I don't know, everybody speculates, we don't know. We don't even know how Mary was. But but based on the culture, imagine being somewhere between 14 and 18 years of age, young lady. And an angel showing up in your room and announcing to you that you're going to uh, give birth to the Savior of the world while still a virgin. Try and get your mind around that. Imagine uh, 
being this, this local kid, this, this carpenter who, who clearly is in love with his fiance. He has a, a deep love. We, we see it how this unfolds. He has this deep love for his fiance. And suddenly being told that she is pregnant. And you know you didn't have anything to do with it. Imagine trying to get your head around that one. Uh, imagine uh, being whatever she was, six, seven, eight, nine months pregnant, whatever she was, uh, pregnant, and, and suddenly learning that you, you don't have a choice. You have to make this trip to Bethlehem, this 80-mile journey by foot through dangerous territory and robbers and, and all the exposure, to the, all the stuff that would be involved in that, and you've got to make that trip and you get there only to find out there's no room in the inn. Try the barn out back. I'm thinking that uh, I'm thinking that Mary and Joseph must have said, "What a strange way to save the world that God would listen here this is important. It's important that you and I understand that we're never going to understand everything. This is not a knock against you. This is just the way it is for all of us. God is too great. God is too grand. God is too infinite for our finite minds to ever fully grasp who God is and why God does what he does or, or doesn't do what we seemingly think he should do or when he does it or how he does it. He's, he's God and we're not. And we're not. And the key, listen to me, the secret to, to a successful life, you ready? It's learning to be okay with that. It's learning to be okay with the idea that I am never going to... Matter of fact, after 30-some years of walking with Jesus and however many years in ministry, I think I can confidently say to you that in most instances, you will not understand what God is doing. And the key is learning to be okay with that. It's learning to be able to say... I don't know what God's doing. Quite honestly, I don't have a clue. But I know God. And I know that God is good. And I know that I can trust God. I'll keep walking by faith. There it is, ladies and gentlemen. There's the key for your life. To keep walking by faith. Hey, and and that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing, right? Because the writer of the book of Hebrews reminds us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. That's what it says. So, in other words, it becomes essential that faith be a part of our lives. Now listen, I've said this a million times. I'll say it as long as there's breath in my body. It does not mean that our, that our faith is, a, is an unintelligent faith. It does not mean that our faith is a blind faith. It does not mean that our faith is a, a check-your-brains-at-the-door faith. Our faith is actually quite rational. And there are mountains, there is mountains of empirical evidence to support the reason we believe what it is that we believe. But it is still faith. Because none of us were there when this moment transpired. 
There is an, it, it is faith. Yes, there's tons of it. But there is faith. And that is not a bad thing. That's a good thing. Joseph and Mary were part of God's rescue mission, whether they understood it all or not. And they didn't understand it all. And you and I won't understand it all. That really becomes important in the midst of your life, in the midst of the, at times, chaos. I know your life's not chaos all the time, is it? <laughs> some, of y'all, some of y'all was thinking, I'd like two minutes for a rebuttal. Okay, maybe, maybe life is chaos all the time. Maybe it's not chaos all the time. Maybe it's good some of the time. Maybe it's bad a lot of the time. Maybe it, wherever it is, wherever you fall in that scale and all that kind of stuff, to keep in mind this, this, this uh, principle that, that faith is not a bad thing. Faith is a good thing, and I have to keep walking by faith even if I don't understand. God, what in the world are you doing? Why would you let this happen? How could you possibly uh, be doing this? What possible reason could there be for this? And that's when we got to say, like Mary and Joseph, I, I didn't think this. When, when the angel came to me, imagine this. He's probably excited it for <laughs> you're, you're gonna you're gonna give birth to the Savior. And as I understand it, in the culture, every Jewish girl as she grew up was longed to be prayed to be the mother of the Messiah. They, they knew the Messiah was coming. But, but imagine what it was like when, when she goes to her, her fiancé and she says, I, I'm pregnant, but I'm still a virgin. And go figure, he doesn't believe her. God, you, you, you're the, you sent the angel, you said this to me, you... you t- and now Joseph is bailed out and he might even have me killed. He has the legal right to have me stoned to death, God, by the way. So I throw that in there. Imagine, imagine Joseph. Imagine every hope. Because remember, folks, it's not, a, it's not a lot back then, right? You live and you die, and there's stuff in between. He's a carpenter. He's trying to eke out a living. He's, I mean, it's just, just, just life, right? It's not no grandiose ideas, or I'm going to become a CEO at the age of 32, or I'm going to travel the world. It's not, none of that stuff. It's just you live and you die, and there's stuff in between. Imagine every hope, every aspiration, every dream that he ever had, I'll guarantee you, every one of them were crushed under the weight of just two words from his fiancée. I'm pregnant. Because that's a game changer. Everything's changed now. And what do you do? Joseph and Mary chose to keep walking by faith. That's really important for our lives. I I said a moment ago earlier in the service, I don't know what 2016 has in store for any of us. If we did, if God did show us in advance, it'd probably scare us so much that we'd lock ourselves in a closet or something. I don't know, but... But I don't know what 2016 holds, but God does. And so no matter what you face, are facing, will face, is coming your way, you can choose what Mary and Joseph chose. You can say, I I don't have a clue. I don't know what God's doing, but I'll keep walking because I know God. Third, real quickly, let me go through these pretty quickly. Angels were a part of God's rescue mission, whether the devil liked it or not. And he didn't like it. Let me just say that. Uh, let me just 
real quickly. The angels, uh, the shepherds staying out in the fields, keeping watch of the flock. Angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened, as you can imagine they would be. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And then he gives them a sign. Here's how you know you can find him. He's going to be wrapped in, in, in just cloths, just normal twaddling cloths. He's going to be lying in a manger, which would have had significant, amazing significance for shepherds, right? You do understand, a manger is it's just a feeding trough. That's how they knew, by the way. That's how they knew where to find Joseph, Mary, and the baby Jesus. Shepherds, they were part of this whether the devil liked it or not. And he didn't like it. And let me give you two reasons why he didn't like it. He absolutely did not like it. Let me give you two things that Satan despises the most. First, God was sending a savior to redeem lost mankind. That's what, that's, that's what, that's what the angels were saying. God was sending a, a savior to redeem lost mankind. Listen, from the garden, right? Satan has been trying to, to break the relationship between God and man, Right? And he's, he's been successful with it. He, he got Adam and Eve to, to give in to the temptation. He got them to sin. He broke this, this relationship that, that man had uh, with God. And now suddenly the angels were announcing that God was going to restore this relationship. That did not sit well with him, I can assure you. And then second thing that Satan despises, God was receiving praise and glory. God was receiving praise and glory. What did it say, I think, there in the last part of uh, verse uh, 13? Uh, Praising God and saying glory to God in the highest. Remember, why did Satan fall in the first place? Lucifer. Because he desired what God had. He decided to place his throne. That He he decided he deserved to have his throne above God's. He wanted what God had. He wanted God's position and he wanted God's praise. What was coming to him, he wanted all to him. And suddenly this this multitude of the heavenly hosts were standing there glorifying God, praising God. And Satan absolutely hated it and there was absolutely nothing he could do to stop it. Let me piggyback off that real quickly and then we're going to move on. Let me piggyback off that real quickly just to say to you, ladies and gentlemen. God deserves our praise. And our glory. The glory that is His. He deserves for us to bring it to Him. Individually, in your time with the Lord during the week, that I I pray you all are finding the time to do that, that you're saying part of that should be just praising, glorifying God. It it can be spoken, it can be sung out. I think there is something about singing out. But but praising God is just something about that, that, that that is really good and really important. And God deserves it. Individually, but corporately, this, there's something about this. When the body gathers together to corporately praise and glorify God, it's not just another week. It's not just another song. We've already done that song or that's a new song. It is praising and glorifying God and he is fully worthy of every single bit of it. And you and I, here, I'm going I'm to harp on you for a little bit. You and I ought to run through those doors at 1029 or before. Excited about praising God. I know that if the room was full, it'd be easier. I understand that. But forget the uh, people that aren't here. What are you here for? And when you come through those doors, you come through those doors excited, anticipating, I'm going to get to praise God with other people. I'm going to get to lift up praises. I can't sing worth a hoot or I'm a fantastic singer. But either way, I'm going to get to do that with these other people gathered here. And, and, and we, we ought to 
Because God deserves it. And Satan hates it. I know we don't have time for this. But I'm going to do it anyway. Y'all, y'all remember? This? I just was thinking it all different. I've been, I've been working on a bunch of Christmas hymns and stuff during Christmas season and stuff. But y'all, y'all remember the one? Uh, I don't know. I hope, I hope I start this right. Good Christian men rejoice with heart and soul and voice. Do y'all remember that song? Okay, Taylor, bring it up here. Do y'all think we can sing that? If, if you know it, if it's new to you, uh, just, just listen to the person beside you and lip sync it or something, and, and you'll come along. But right? Ready? Ready? Good Christian men rejoice with heart and soul and voice. Give you heed to what we say. News, news, Jesus Christ is born today. Ox and ass before him bow, and he is in the manger now. Christ is born today. Christ is born today. You remember that song? It's a good song, right? Every song, every, everyone that points to the glory of God, and, and this really is good news. Christ is born today, this day that we celebrate and that we talk about and we're reading about today, and that is a reason for good Christian men and women to rejoice. Okay, I, I know, got to go, got to go, real quickly. Here we go, let's jump to uh, number, what are we on, four? Number four, real quickly. Shepherds were part of God's rescue mission, whether they expected it or not. I'm going to get through all these and we're going to close out. Shepherds were part of God's rescue mission, whether they expected it or not. And they didn't expect it because there was no reason for them to expect it. Listen, shepherds were, were, were good people. And they performed a, a, a needed uh, function in society. But according to Levitical law, because of being in the presence of animals and touching animals and all that kind of stuff, uh, they were considered ceremonially unclean much of the time. A big ritual they had to go through for cleansing and all this stuff, which shepherds oftentimes had plenty of work to do. And, and so in the culture, they were considered ceremonially unclean. So they basically become, to some extent, to some extent, they become like the, the lowest rung on the, on the societal ladder. They are the last people that you would expect this great news of great joy, good news of great joy, last people that you expect that, that it would come to. If, if I was doing it. Or, or you were doing it, or, or some other person was doing it. But God does things that you and I do not expect. God does them in ways that you do not, uh, and I do not expect. And God does it to accomplish the purposes that he desires and designs to accomplish. And I want you to look at the pattern really quickly. I want you to see what, what they did. Uh, first, they go check it out. You see it, we read it in the text, but look at it in verse 15, latter part of verse 15. Uh, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Notice, they, they, they hear his word first. He speaks it to them. They hear the word. Then they go verify. They go experience for themselves what has happened in the place. So they go check it out. Follows up with, they go let it out. Look at verse uh, 17, I think it is. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. I don't know what the reaction would have been if God had gone to the, the uh, socially elite first or if it got, God had gone to royalty first or if God had gone to the upper class first. I don't know what the reaction would have been. But these guys, when they hear it, their first reaction is go tell everybody they can. By the way, that's still the way it's done. 
A person checks out Christ themselves, they hear the message of the gospel, they verify, they, 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 they receive it into their own life, and then they go and they tell everybody else about it. That's still the pattern, that's still the plan, that's still the way it's done, which is, and I'm going I'm to fly through stuff, closing this up, but it brings us to the fifth one uh, today, which is this. You and I are part of God's rescue mission, whether we accept it or not. Because here's the deal, all of this stuff actually transpired exactly as God said that it would. It's, it's, a, it's a past tense historically. Uh, God did send his son. God the son was born uh, in Bethlehem, laid in a manger. He did grow up to be a man, live a sinless life be, as only the, the God-man could do. He did willingly lay his life down on the cross. He did literally physically uh, die uh, for our sins. And then, and then he did literally rise again three days later, proving once and for all that the, that the plan of God was succeeded, the, the plan of Satan had been defeated, and eternal life was possible for all of it. All of that is, is something that has transpired. But the mission isn't completed. Because there's still people who need to hear. When I ask you this question, then I want you to watch this video. How much? How much? Now think about this. You looking at me? How much is one soul Worth. Watch this. I cannot help but ask. What is the value of one soul? One soul. I mean, London is a city with eight million people. And what difference can one soul make? According to the Bible, a huge difference. You know, one of my uh, favorite stories so far here in London is about this group that the Lord started here. We call it Refuge. Refuge is a group that is maybe eight months old and so far we're seeing almost 100 people coming and going from all over the world and after being completely in love with Jesus they're going back to their dark spiritually dead countries and they're shining His light. Think about it. I really want to say thank you Because without you giving, sorry. Because without you giving, we wouldn't be here. Even looking back, uh, when we first got here, was the story of this young Brazilian guy. We met him and we sat down and we started talking about life and we were able to share the gospel with him. To which he responded almost immediately saying, yeah, that's what I want for my life. And immediately after that, we started hanging out in coffee shops and studying Bible stories in English. And we knew our time with him was really short because he had to go back home. So the last story we were studying was the story of Philip and the Ethiopian. And, and he was just fascinated by, uh, by the fact that an Ethiopian wanted to be baptized and right there. And he asked me what would keep him from being baptized. 
that, well, nothing. We, we, we do have a bathtub at home and you can, you know what? You can invite all your friends and, and, and we can have your goodbye party and your baptism at the same night. It, it, it was just beautiful. It, it, and I praise God because of Lottie Moon Christmas offering and the cooperative program. We were able to share the gospel to that young man and I believe he went back. And he is sharing about his amazing uh, encounter he had with Jesus here in London. I can't help but think, what is the value of a soul? Is it, a va- is it worthy all the sacrifice of going and giving and missing family and saying goodbyes? Or many times giving even what we can and my answer is yes it is worth it 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 is worth that and much more Uh, just to call to y'all's remembrance the the international mission board is an agency that that cross-cultural church partners with we we help to fund to send missionaries all over uh, the world when you give regularly, faithfully to this fellowship and to the ministry of this fellowship, percentage of that goes to the International Mission Board. But I just want to challenge you. It's not enough. Uh, it, it takes a lot to put personnel on the field. Uh, every year in December, we try and highlight, and I'll be honest with you, I've just let this month get away from me, but we try and highlight uh, what's called the Lottie Moon Christmas Offerings, named in honor of a pioneer missionary who went to China, as a matter of fact, uh, many, many years ago, gave her life on, on the field. Uh, she... Uh, she was an amazing woman, and, and the Lottie Moon Christmas offering is taken up every year in her honor. Uh, 100% of those proceeds go not to local churches, not to national entities, but go straight to the International Mission Board, and directly from there, straight to funding and putting uh, missionaries on the field. Uh, a few years ago, back in 2012, we started sort of a challenge here at Cross Culture. We said, given in December, given the month of Christmas, that, uh, during that month, that, that's great and that's fantastic. But a lot of times we're all, you know, I'm trying to pay bills, we're buying gifts, and, and it's tough, and well, you know, can I afford $20 or $10 or no dollars or, or what? And so we challenged people in 2012 uh, that year to give $12 a month extra above your tithe. Give $12 a month to the uh, Lottie Moon Christmas offering all through the year, uh, not just at Christmas, so that at the end of the year, for that year, if you did it, it was $144, uh, which uh, is, is substantially more than the average person, quite honestly, gives to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. We're still challenging people with that. I just don't say it enough. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't say it enough. But I want to encourage you in 2016 to say, man, I'm 2016. I'm going to start giving, whether it's $10 a month or, or $12 or $16 a month or whatever it is. I'm going to give that above and beyond my tithe uh, because, as you said, what, what's the value of a soul? I challenge you to do that. Or even this month, if you said, man, I haven't given anything all year, but I need to give some money. You can, you can do that. You can put it on an envelope and mark it for the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Because you can't put a value, that's the bottom line, you can't put a value on a soul. And you and I are still part of this rescue mission. We've got to go. I don't know how much longer this is going on. I don't know how much longer before Jesus returns. I don't know any of that stuff. But I know we have to go. We have to tell. We have to share. We have to give to make it possible so that everybody can understand that God loves you. Matter of fact, God loves you so much, he sent a rescue mission. There's no hope without him. But there is all hope with it.
What a beautiful story of God's plan to rescue mankind from our sin. God had planned this rescue mission since the beginning, and in His timing, He carried it out in a marvelous way. As Pastor Clay pointed out today, some of those involved in God's rescue mission may not have realized it or understood it, but each of us should be thankful for it because it means that we can be forgiven of our sins and become a part of God's family. And as Pastor Clay also reminded us today, each of us are still a part of that rescue mission. Each of us has the responsibility to be used by God to take the great news of Jesus to everyone we can across the street or across the globe. From all of us here at Cross Culture Church, we wish you a Merry Christmas. Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. Many people at some point in their life feel disconnected with the type of life and faith they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting? If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores. I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback form from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here, uh, entitled I Get It from Clay Stevens. They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get. Get your copy today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. And join us here each week online for another Crosswalk message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable to every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. Cross-Culture Church. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where you'll find what you're searching for. Cross-Culture Church. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to leave Cross Culture Church, a new church for people like you. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.